right now there is an e-commerce race going on, and some people have seen it and are racing it, and some people are a little bit oblivious to it. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building scalable startups in sunny Western Australia. My name is Carly Norman, and I'm one of your hosts for 2020. Today, we are excited to welcome Jesse Emia, founder of KeepSpace, to the virtual Startup West podcast. Welcome, Jesse. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing really well, really well. And it's so lovely to have you on the show today. Thank you for making the time to be with us. Oh, no worries. Tell us where it all began. Let's go right back to the beginning. Oh, Were you God. a high flyer at school? No. Oh, you want to go that far back. So we're going like back to school level. We're going right back, Jesse. Were you a okay. high flyer at school? Nah, I wasn't. I was a C average dude myself, to be honest. Yeah? Yeah. Did you I show was... leadership potential? I tried. I mean, I was a school um, counselor where people didn't want to do that job. So I did it. Uh, I never went for the cool school captain thing because I was never really that cracking hot at sports. But for some reason, I liked playing with the teachers and principals and stuff. So counseling is where I went. I think that counts as leadership potential. If you didn't like sports and things like that, what were your favorite subjects? Outdoor activities. (laughs) 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 the outdoor activities was really good um i actually really liked the whole computer science classes and um the multimedias so that was where i sort of um did pretty well in but my english was terrible and so was my history at that time so I think history is a like it or hate it kind of topic. You like computer science and you obviously were involved in in sort of the counsellor side of things. Do you think that these were early signs that you were going to become an entrepreneur? Guys, he's like literally, you know, 15, 16. I didn't even know what the word meant. Never heard of it. It was just, wasn't even something around. It was just, just a young kid doing whatever was fun at the time. As I think a lot of us were at that time. So then how did you come up with the idea for Keep Space? It was actually uh, a life-changing experience that sort of came through. So KeepSpace originated way back when I went to China for the first time uh, back in, it was 2007. Yeah, 2007, oh, over 10 years ago. Uh, went there and before that, I was working for a council, um, the actual city of Victoria Park here in WA, and I thought, yay, I'm, I've got a right, right old cushy job as a um, sports manager for uh, the facility um, that the council was having us look after and doing pretty well. But then when I was going through my relationship at the time, we went to China and uh, her father pretty much said, oh, so, uh, so how much you make? And I was like, oh, I do really well. I make about 60 grand. You know, a year? I feel pretty good about that. He's like, oh, 60 grand. All right, so what's that a week? Oh, it's about seven. Oh, actually, it's about $1,000. Oh, you make about $1,000. Oh, that's very good. Mm. You know, what if you made $1,000 in two sales? I was like, (laughs) oh, oh, that's actually a good point. How do I do that? And that's where it started. Oh, wow. So it was really just changing the way that you thought about employment and how to earn money? Yes, it was literally that. It was like you, it, the process of financial gains was always like, how do you achieve it in the best way? And it was literally a conversation that, that was that. Because he how, had the BMW, he had the, 
all the goods. And I was like, wow, this guy's got it going. And he in government doesn't seem to have that. So how do I get it? <laughs> so he put the idea of starting your own business in your head. How did that take you to the world of third-party logistics? Well, uh, going back even further, in 2003, I was in the military um, as a combat storeman. That role wasn't there anymore. I think it's um, tactical um, logistics now. I'm not too sure. They make it fun, fun, fancy names. So that was where I understood that whole world. And then in the mining sector in 2011, um, understanding the transportation process of iron from the ground to the ports off to overseas, um, putting that all together, understanding the chains, it sort of gave a space for us to go through. So how the original arrangement for Keyspace is actually a pivot that occurred from a, a business prior to that one. And that business was called Koala Box. And Koala Box was a business model that I ripped off from Canada from their Dragon's Den TV show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, um, like, I saw Dragon's Den, Shark Tank, and all those shows. I was like, I need a business model that's going to be really cool because the business model before that one failed, which was a retail business in the wedding sector, which I am not going to get into right now because that was terrible, scary, and never do it again. So the idea was get a product that could be reusable over and over again and pass it on. So we got eco-friendly plastic boxes and we got two container loads full of them. We brought them to the market and people used them instead of cardboard boxes. It was really, really nice. And we had heaps of them and we thought this was going to really go well. And it did not go very well at all for four years. Oh, yeah. So that's actually quite a considerable time, though, learning how to set up a business, yes. how to market, how to deal with customers, and I guess as well about that sort of flow of ordering in from China and then distributing here in Australia. Mm. Then yes. you made the jump to actually storing other product for Australian businesses primarily rather than necessarily importing and exporting yourself. What did you learn from your first company that took you through to your second from that supply chain aspect? The first one, uh, well, technically it was our second one. The second business I learned a lot around starting from your first payment, like getting that first dollar, which was super amazing through a platform that you built without contacting the person at all and having a decent navigation flow through WordPress. So understanding HTML and CSS and mm. all those joyful attributes to be able to help someone get through to buy. When that first happened, that was like, mm. wow, this can work. It was very, very exciting. From there, it was just trying to improve the channel Resource management, trying to make sure your budgeting and finances were working really, really well because that was the thing that always came back because we spent so much money to make it work. And that was probably the scariest part to make sure that the money spent was actually going to come back. And so managing resources is probably the biggest part after making sales. Okay. Right. And that applies now as well to how you run your business? Totally. Totally, like doing, be able to run a budget, be able to make sure there's enough money for GST, making sure there's enough money to make sure you pay your cost of sales requirements. They really do stack up when they get bigger. Um, so, but 
in relation to what you just said, those components helped, but it was four years and four years is a really long time to get something right. Because in the first year we made $18. Then in the second year, we totaled our sales up at uh, 20,000. Our third year went to 35 and our fourth year got to just at 48,000. So four years to make less than 50 grand is a genuine struggle hustle and so much learning. But from that, the pivot came through um, to keep space when we realized we're generating revenue in a sparse, in a business model that's made mainly for a high populated area. As you know, Perth has 1.8 or maybe 2 million people now, but at the time it was about 1.7. And it was the model that I nicked it from was in a country that had 50 million people, which had lots of people moving. So it didn't really work here. And the financials showed that, which was a great learning experience. So we had all these assets. We're like, what are we going to do? We've got to reutilize this somehow. They are boxes. You can put things in them. So why don't we turn them into cubicle measurements? So we looked around online and then there was a company in the US called MakeSpace. And so I nicked that too. <laughs> no offense. That's just what I did. We copied that model to here, here in Australia. Um, I wish I could say I came up with the idea. I genuinely didn't. So I'm giving credit back to the guys who gave the inspiration. So MakeSpace was a software platform that had a an arrangement where it was like uh, Dropbox, where you could visually see your things, like your digital assets, but instead of it being digital assets, like files and videos, it was chairs and bed frames and books and DVDs and whatever they are. And they would put them into those boxes. They would take a picture from the top and then they'd be stored away. So that's where that transition came through to the beginning stages of what KeepSpace was and I'll carry the story on in a minute. That's actually a really interesting way of moving into the pivot and coming out of the other side as keep space because third-party logistics is usually run by some pretty big players, your TNTs, your toll, that end of things. How have you navigated sort of going into a sector that's dominated by quite large brands and quite large money? Well, Pretty easily, actually, because the large people chase large customers and the small ones chase the small guys. And so that's what we did. Really, really straightforward because there were sellers online for e-commerce. No, what we looked at when we looked at this market space with the storage side of things when we were at that point was that we found there was three customer personas that we saw, buyer personas. It was homeowners, small businesses, and students. And the, obviously the homeowners and the students for short term frame, short time frame of users of the actual service, but the businesses which you would point on connected back. But to the question of like, well, are we going to get crushed by big players? Honestly, nah, because they're asleep at the wheel. That's the truth. These guys are literally working only to service wholesale and retail. They don't give two flips about e-commerce. So that's an interesting point. When we're looking at the difference between what they stock and what you stock, for example, what's the most popular product that you stock and you handle the logistics for? 
Uh, well, I can tell you the category range. Yeah, that, that's fine. The health and fitness is one that um, we started off initially, and I'll give a I'll give a plug to uh, Blackroll. Blackroll is one of the guys who gave us was our first business that joined us, and he is awesome. Like, if you want to go check him out, then from there it went into things you would not normally find at a shopping mall. It was things that were different. So the next guy, not too long after that, was Pick Pals, and he has the Pick Looks. Another one is um, scissors, uh, doing scissors across the world. Uh, another one is four by four accessories. Uh, another one is outdoor wilderness equipment that you wouldn't normally find at um, Kathmandu. So, yeah. So it's you're sort of servicing then a lot of other small businesses who probably would struggle to get a foothold into, again, stores that are dominated by bigger brands. Yeah. So just to be super clear around this space that we're in, when, when we started in the world of third-party logistics or 3PL as they call it short, it is run by uh, companies like Star Trek, uh, Main Freight, and the agriculture sector, which has massive, massive warehouse spaces. But in retrospect, you're dealing with guys who have so much grain, they need just a flat surface to put everywhere, or people who are running just solely on pallets and you know, Honda motorbikes and all these larger things. And these larger things need obviously heavy assets. You need forklifts, you need high racking, you got to pull all this stuff away. But an e-commerce seller, he runs from his garage or her garage. She's going to be running from a spare bedroom. These guys don't need that much space, but what they need is the improvement of operational efficiency because they're running it themselves and they got to do marketing, they got to do sales, they got to do customer support, and then they got to get more excited about a new product they want to release. But then, oh, God, i got to go to Australia Post and drop off these parcels. Ah, I see. So it's actually you're dealing with different issues that your customers are having versus necessarily the struggles that those larger businesses are having with their supply chain. So you've been running for several years now. Um, Keep Space is founded in 2016? The pivot 2016. was... 2016. That's correct, yeah. 2016. And how have you found, um, how have you found it being part of the Perth startup community, did you find that there were any particular challenges around doing a startup from WA? Well, because of the previous model before, there was relationships that have been built over 10 years. So being connected to the community of early stage businesses and seeing how that's been growing, it's been really, really encouraging. Like I remember when the morning startup group was just a round of chairs at Space Cube, and most of us there were just there crying to each other, saying how hard it is. It's like they're so mean, and all these massive corporations are just taking over. How are we going to make it better? And it's become this place now where you have all these events, you have all these community groups, you have better Zoom podcasts that are coming out like yours, and it's been really been a growing process over the last 12 years. So... Those relationships have led to coffees, which have led to idea concepts, and then the main thing, which is the execution of those ideas. So that's been really good. 
So it sounds like the community has been supportive. Did you have any mentors and advisors during your journey? I did. Um, most of them were uh, podcasts or books, but then there was a group of men, and it wasn't actually from uh, any uh, government agency. It was actually from our church. It was a bunch of uh, church business leaders. They would meet every second Sunday. And that group of gents who had made a lot of money themselves had a lot of wisdom, much older than me. And that was probably the best group that I've been talking with. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So it's really great that that came as well then from your personal networks as well, because you've faced several challenges as you've grown the business. Through your expansion path, I understand that you actually raised a bit of money at the start of 2019. How did you find that process? from Perth? It was good. Um, it was really good. Now that discussion of raising capital was not maybe the typical type of way you would hear at presentations or events. This was done not with a program or anything. Like that. It was run mainly as, um, an internal, um, structure. So we had built a team, which is super important to do. And that team believed in what we're doing and they wanted to put in funds to help us build it up further. I also had a friend who uh, really, really was amazing and she and I had been friends for a really long time and she liked what we were doing and she wanted to get out of the work game and get into the entrepreneur space. Now, for anyone who transitions directly out of uh, employee into entrepreneur, it is massive, massive culture shock. And that process, the money that she put in, plus the team's money that put in, it was put in under a vesting agreement similar to what Muru D did. Um, and we have just added a cash component to that, which is then the cash being added to the share structure that they were being applied to through also their hard work and labor. So that way it was like a, a contribution. So it wasn't like an investor came from the outside and said, hey, I like what you're doing. Because most of the conversations we were having to them were saying, you're nothing more than another coffee shop or cafe. I don't see anything new about you because you're just a space with stuff. I don't see any technological advances at this point. Good luck. Off you go. So it was more of those who understood e-commerce or, or believed in what we were doing that put their own personal money in, so friends or family style. And that's how that was done. So it's actually really interesting, though, what you've highlighted there around that being another avenue for people looking to raise. If possibly, like you mentioned, a lot of people will raise through a program. There's your option of an accelerator program. Mm. You can go to your sort of more traditional angel groups and things like that. But it's really great to hear that you found a workaround that works for your business and as well for the people in your business as well, mm. sort of ensuring that, I guess, longevity and that support as well from the team, which is really exciting. You've got a few different experiences that you've gone through on your journey here. Do you have any advice that you would give to other Perth founders? I guess if there was only one thing I would say is that just be really humble and remember that you're not as big as a Silicon Valley. You are in a hustle and a grind and the focus should be believing in the people you're with and building good culture 
and focus on that first million of sales. That's it. And that's actually a really great takeaway for people as well. Who do you admire as a startup or business leader? It's people who I'd probably admire in the in as a leadership. I really liked what Steve Jobs did. Yes, he was a bit of a prick, but I really liked his tenacity and his minimalism um, and focus not on personal wealth or gain, even though, yes, he had lots of stuff, but I thought that was really cool. I do like Elon Musk and his work ethics. I think work ethics is very important in growth and management of a business. And yes, these guys I have never met, but from a more of a local level, I think it's the guys in the, the small uh, church group that I catch up with that I really do admire those gents. That's nice. And it looks like those sort of, that advice and the people who helped you at the start have continued to help you through your journey as well, which is really exciting. Mm. So as we look forward then, what, what does the next, where, where will we see Keepspace in the next five years? What we have found is probably something where other people have found that right now there is an e-commerce race going on and some people have seen it and are racing it and some people are a little bit oblivious to it. What's going on right now is that from a global perspective, and then I'll come back into exactly what Keyspace is going to do. So right now, in Australia specifically, there is a growing demand of e-commerce platforms to be able to sell better and have their products delivered faster and, and just improving that overall experience. Due to our limitations and restrictions of a large place with small population, that has been a real challenge for the infrastructure. So there are improvements going on and everyone's chasing to find the most efficient way to do this. And culturally looking at evening, so evening dispatch or releases and um, better shipping rates improvements, easier purchasing arrangements and being able to get products after hours has actually been something really, really interesting to see. As well as dropping the importing restrictions to be able to get products to the country to distribute them out throughout the people. So what Keyspace is trying to do in seeing all this and being a part of it with the e-commerce side of things is recognizing that more and more people are going to create a Shopify, a WooCommerce website and sell a product that they believe in. And as they grow, they need to have the tools to have their services improved for their customers. So we're working on a software arrangement inside our actual use of our system that we're building and our system will hopefully improve. And through that, they would use hopefully our system and through using our system, we will help them scale to not only across Australia, but over international waters where we'll place our current warehouse facility and duplicating that. So we're going to go to Melbourne. We're also going to look at Shenzhen or Shanghai as a location. And through that, if they're selling in the US, in the UK, in South Africa, or here in Australia, and they use the software, as someone who's selling a product, say they really love shoes and they want to be able to, and they have their place that they do, they don't want to go anywhere. But now they're like, okay, I want to set up a warehouse in Melbourne to sell my shoes better, get better shipping rates. Okay, what do I got to do? I got to get a location. I got to get... Um, someone who I can trust to manage my service and I got to make sure that the lease isn't too long. Oh, oh, wait a minute. I'm using Keepspace software and they already have a location there. Oh, I'm going to just keep using the platform and just drop product there. That would be so much easier. 
And so that's the direction Keyspace is going to multiplying our locations while building a software for people to use. That is so exciting because that's a very ambitious global plan, but it's a really great way to see the potential for a company that started in Perth and where that can end up. And it's all very achievable with the network that you've got in place. Absolutely. So thank you so much for taking us through that, Jesse. We've got our quick fire rapid round. Are you ready for quick six questions to come your way? Oh, wow. So what do we do here <laughs> exactly? I will ask you six questions and it is a short one word answer for each. One, who should we interview next? Mark from Rhino Hyde. Two, if you were at a bar, what would you be ordering? Water. Found it as a solo or as a team? Solo. Controversial. Hmm. What does self-care look like for you? A shower. AI, like it or loathe it? That's pretty good. And what book would you recommend? Biographies. Nice. Actually, biographies are a fantastic way to find out more. Thank you so much, Jesse. And we will absolutely put the links to Keep Space. Um, and if people want to get in touch as well um, for people to find out more about the business and yourself, I would also like to thank our sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Spacecube Coworking Spaces, Curtin University, IP Lawyers Rays, and the New Industries Fund, WA Department of Jobs, Tourism, Science and Innovation and BDO Accounting. Today, we have recorded this podcast virtually in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Mm-hmm.